Welcome to the FedHeads, a weekly podcast from Grand Thornton Public Sector. Join the FedHeads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to Episode 7 of FedHeads. I'm Francis Rose. We're back again. You, I'm Robert Shea. You keep having me back. That's I appreciate great. that. Love it. I'm loving it. Thank you very time. much. Analytics in combating fraud and reducing fraud risks are what we're going to talk about today. Tell there, me what I should know about why Why should this be important to me, Robert? Is there fraud in the federal government? Of course there is. Yeah. Well, it, everything the federal government does is really big, yes. and fraud is not an exception. Mm-hmm. There is lots of fraud. In virtually every program in government, there's someone trying to defraud the taxpayer out of its benefits. So better analytics can help you eliminate that, uh, reduce fraud, but also save billions and billions tens of billions of dollars. So our guests today are uh, one person that I know and one person that I'm meeting for the first time. Paul, you're the one that I haven't met before, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, Paul Suchkar, I've been with Grant Thornton about three years. I'm a partner in our decision analytics practice. I've spent the vast majority of my career um, doing analytics in one way, shape, or form in the federal sector. Um, spent about four or five years focused exclusively on fraud, um, doing work for the IRS uh, around 2010. Welcome, and thanks for coming in today. Linda, I know you from GAO, and now I know you from Grant Thornton, but um, tell everybody that's listening a little bit about yourself and your background. The legend. Happy to, yes. Uh, Linda Miller, I was at GAO for about 10 years. Most recently, before I left, I was uh, on the Forensic Audits and Investigative Services team, where I led the development of GAO's framework for managing fraud risks in federal programs, and which became uh, required for agencies to follow when the Congress passed and the President signed the Fraud Reduction Data Analytics Act of 2015. So, uh, yeah, been doing this for a while now. I would say. What are the results that we've seen so far from that? That's a good question. You know, actually, GAO is answering that question as we speak. They're currently assessing what agencies have done to comply with the Fraud Act. Um, so I think the answer is stay tuned. Mm-hmm. In my in my opinion, um, there have been a real variety. We looked over at the AFR reports that agencies put out in response, and some you know, said, hey, it's a really good thing to do, um, but they weren't really doing much. A couple agencies have taken the lead, uh, I think including the Department of Veterans Affairs, who's been doing a very extensive um, assessment of their fraud risks across the whole department. Wait a minute. We haven't eliminated fraud? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. I mean, that's tune next back year. tomorrow. So I, close. I, I, I make that as a joke, but what are, what are, what's realistic to expect? I mean, to what? how low can we get fraud? How How... How closely can we get to eliminating improper payments in the government? Well, it's good that you mentioned improper payments because there's a real difference between improper payments and fraud. Um, We are looking at uh, the federal government's trying to eliminate improper payments. It's a lot easier to measure that because a payment that was made improperly, you you can document that. Whereas with fraud, a lot of fraud is undetected. Nobody really knows how much fraud they're experiencing because it's, you know, it's a deceptive form of, uh, of, of, of uh, criminal activity. So 
Um, I think when it comes to fraud in the government, how much can you eliminate? I think what really you have to do is raise awareness within federal agencies that fraud risk is something to pay attention to and understand where those risks may lie and understand where they're vulnerable. And once they know where they're vulnerable, they can start to close those gaps. And then, you know, then we can start to see a real dent. When it comes to improper payments, I think the problem with agencies is they've been spending a lot of time focused on compliance, looking at uh, IPERA compliance. How can we, you know, estimate, get our estimates in line with what GAO expects and report our improper payment numbers to someone's satisfaction? That's not really moving the needle. That's not dropping the payments. That's just, that's just changing, you know, making sure we've got the, uh, the I's dotted and the T's crossed in our reports. Paul, are there some parallels, though, that we can draw between the improper payments effort that's ongoing in government and the fraud uh, effort that's go- uh, going on in government? I'm wondering particularly about applying a risk management framework to fraud detection and fraud protection. So I think the answer is yes. What I would say is there's a real parallel between how you should tackle fraud risk and how you should tackle improper payments. And that is based purely on the risk-based type of approach. So going um, further than what Linda just identified as the compliance historical approach of improper payments, you know, really looking at analytics as a way to um, root out and develop uh, root out and to determine what is improper uh, beyond the straightforward compliance check and and really build some capabilities that can be used in a more systemic way on a repeated basis is something that both you know program integrity and proper payments as well as fraud risk can 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 enjoy the benefits of. I'd go back to what you'd threw out a few minutes ago, Robert. You know, you, you'd asked, uh, you know, how low can we get it? Can we get close to eliminating fraud? I mean. I think that's the wrong question to ask. I mean, are we really going to eliminate? A lot. You're Robert. my guest. <laughs> well, I mean, insult me you know, as an interviewer. No, I personally <laughs> like it. So. We're trying to keep it um, real here um, on FedHeads. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know about this the other sessions fantasy. you had, but uh, at any rate, um, you know, the likelihood of eliminating. You need a new fantasy. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Paul. That's okay. Just trying to get serious here. Um, yeah, the likelihood of eliminating crime just in general is, I mean, you're never going to do that. The, the likelihood of eliminating fraud per se is just not going to happen. A lot of fraud um, in big programs gets perpetrated by rather sophisticated actors um, who generally are able to stay one step ahead of anybody who's trying to manage it and mitigate it. Think Social Security, think CMS or IRS. So, you know, the goal shouldn't be, or the question isn't, how do I eliminate it or what success acceptably low. I think the goal is exactly what Linda was saying. Understand the fraud risk exposures, who are the actors, where are your liabilities, set up the right kind of processes and procedures, then move forward into using analytics to um, more systemically identify and detect fraud risk um, liabilities, which then allow you to build treatments and anti-fraud strategies as well. Give us some rich, this this sounds like a really uh, meaty topic. Give us some examples of the kinds of things agencies ought to be looking for. Preferably use names. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and some real examples. Well, we give some color to this issue. I'm glad you asked that because what I was going to um, build on what Paul was just saying, you know, when you move from. Uh, See, Paul, she's glad I asked that question. That's <laughs> such a good question. Giving Robert. you some hints yeah. on how to. Uh-huh. Well, once she goes a little further, we can evaluate if it was a good question or not. But. I mean, on the surface, it seems reasonable. It's called managing up is what I was always (laughs) Go ahead. 
So uh, when you think about an improper payment mindset versus a fraud mindset, um, think about it in the healthcare space. So when a provider um, is, let's say, charging um, a certain number of office visits per day for a given treatment, okay? From an improper payment standpoint, you might look at those payments and say, each one of those is a proper payment. Like, they, it looks good. On the surface, I'm, I'm in charge of looking at payments to determine whether they look improper, and everything is looking good about these payments. We're making the payments. We're good. But then if you were to look at those payments in totality and, and add them up, there's they, they, that one provider charged more than uh, there were hours in a day. Right. And so there you have a situation where if you're just using an improper payment lens, you're not going to find a problem. But if you're using a fraud analytics lens and you're starting to look for patterns and outliers, where are some instead of making a payment focused attention, looking at at the payer or the payee and understanding where there are trends and patterns. That's when you can start to see fraud as opposed to what may in fact be, you know, a series of quote unquote proper payments in in the improper payment you know, definition landscape. And I think that's, and that's an example from the Veterans Administration, but um, CMS too has similar issues. You know, big, big fraud issues in government tend to be in where you've got large benefit programs. So obviously Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Medicare and Medicaid, Social Security Disability Payments, and a host of payment programs um, at the VA. And one thing I'll say that we've found in our work in the agencies is a lot of agencies, to their great credit, really have a strong mission focus. They believe that, you know, they're public servants, which is great. They believe that, you know, I'm being paid to help the, the, the constituents that I'm serving. So if I'm working for the Social Security Administration, I want to get benefits into the hands of, you know, Social Security recipients. If I'm working at the VA, I want veterans to get their services. And that's great. But what we've seen is there isn't a real skeptical mindset. So there's a lot of, when we do these fraud risk assessments with agencies and we talk about, you know, what if this, you know, actor may be doing this or that. There's a, there's a real sort of reluctance to believe that people might be doing those things. And I think that's really where the government in general needs to start to change its cultural view towards rather than being quite so, you know, it's good Naive. to have Yeah, we like to want to feel we want to feel good about human nature that everybody's a good person doing the right thing, but the fact is that there are an awful lot of people who are in business to defraud the government. That's Linda Miller of Grant Thornton and Paul Sechkar of Grant Thornton's here, too, on Fed Heads this week with Robert Shea. I'm Francis Rose. There's a data deluge in government, Paul, and we've talked about that on a number of occasions on this program, and we hear about it in other places. Is What is going on here? What's, is what hap- is happening in the fraud risk analytics environment a result of new data that the government's now collecting or able to analyze? Or is it just a different way of looking at the information that's already been available and maybe asking it different questions than people have asked it before? Well, I think I think it's a mix, but I think the latter probably is more more so characteristic of where the market is. I mean, there are a number of agencies and departments who, you know, simply they haven't gotten around to doing the risk fraud risk assessment, let alone understanding what data can be used to manage and mitigate fraud. So the data is there; they need to put the effort forward um, towards that end. You know, there's a lot of data that um, is existent within agencies components for that for that purpose and I think they can make I think a number of them could make great strides if you started to think about the power of 
you know, third-party data from agency X benefiting Y, given, you know, a lot of challenges and interagency data agreements, then you start to move up the curve a bit more um, with a bit more trajectory. And, you know, I don't know that there's a lot of movement along those lines. Um, Certainly some of the more sophisticated agencies are doing those data sharing um, arrangements, but yeah, I think I think the data has been there. It is there, and it really just takes a kind of a renewed focus to use it for the purposes of understanding and then detecting and working towards preventing fraud risks. What are the action items, Linda, for an agency that's kind of still in the very nascent stages of this? You know, I think uh, ultimately the, the the GAO fraud risk management framework provides a lot of good uh, you know steps that agencies can take. Committing showing that they've got a real commitment to stopping fraud is number one. Changing the culture, as we were talking about, making sure that agencies um, are thinking about fraud, that they're not seeing it. What we, When I was at GAO, what we used to see was a lot of agencies saying, fraud, that's that's the IG's responsibility. You know, we if you want to think about fraud, go talk to the IG. We just, our mission is our focused mission. And so getting agencies to start to see fraud as, as part of their mission and program integrity as their responsibility has been sort of a big uh, uphill battle right now. So Right now, I think with the legislation and agencies getting more scrutiny, I think they're starting to hear that message. But that's the first step, is see that program integrity is, is, is actually part of your responsibility and then start to build you know, some fraud risk assessment methodology within your agency. You can't boil the ocean. There's a lot. You can't do a fraud risk assessment at DHS. You know, DHS can't do one fraud risk assessment. They gotta, they gotta look at components. They have to look at, you know, even programs within components, and they gotta prioritize where they want to focus. So, there's a, it's a, it's an iterative process, and agencies need to think about. The other thing I'll add is that agencies need to consider that fraud is not just financial. A lot of the repercussions of fraud are there can be national security implications, can be safety implications. Um, you know, obviously reputational risk is really big. A lot of agencies miss some things that they wouldn't be hit very hard in their in their pocketbook, but they'd be hit quite a bit. Uh, you know, have a take a real hit uh, reputationally from some fraud schemes being perpetrated. Paul, I'm going to try to draw one more parallel to improper payments to close out the program, and that is. Um, the emphasis in government on improper payments over the years has changed from pay and chase to prevention. Is there an analogy somewhere there in fraud, in the fraud realm as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you are fundamentally better off if you're preventing fraud from going out the door than you are trying to pay it and chase it. And and that's where you've got to get to. But um, yeah, I think if you draw back to what Linda just talked about as some initial steps, the fraud risk assessment is an excellent um, accelerator. And the way to sort of embed this in your business fabric on a day-to-day basis is to build upon that and begin to use analytics. And then you have continued understanding of what fraud's being perpetrated. You're able to detect it. You can employ more sophisticated means through, you know, kind of discrete use cases as well as some technology. Um, and you get to a point where you can begin to prevent it from going out the door. But it's it's a life cycle, and it really requires, you know, starting, and then it requires planning your way through those subsequent stages as well. Paul Sechkar, Linda Miller, thanks both very much. Robert Shea, thank you for joining me on Fed Heads as always. Good to be with you, Francis. Hope, to, hope you come back. Well, just keep inviting me, and I'll come back. I'm kind of like gum on your shoe. Until you scrape me off, I'm there. (laughs) Thanks for that image. Uh, And thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. We'd love to hear from you. 
Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector. And don't forget to leave us a comment or a review on the iTunes or Google Play Store.